Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. How many of you know that the time and the day that we are living in church, we need to be more bold for the kingdom of God than ever? Amen? I'll say it one more time. We need to be bold for the kingdom of God, church. Now's not the time to shrink back, but now's the time to press forward. Amen? Now is the time to, to be bold and courageous before the Lord. We are to be people, church, that, that the Bible says that we do not shrink back because God is not pleased by those that shrink back. But we will look at the opposition. We will look at the enemy. We will look at the trials and the things that are going on in our life today as an opportunity for faith. Amen? As an opportunity for, for you and I to be those that push forward in courage, push forward in just the strength of God. And so I want to read to you this, this story really quickly. It said, Adrian Rogers, he tells about a man who had bragged that he cut off the tail of a man-eating lion with his pocket knife. Now, if you could picture this with me, that you were approaching this great, majestic, powerful, ferocious lion... How many of you have ever seen a lion at the zoo? Has anybody ever seen a lion at the zoo? I mean, those things are massive, man. I mean, the head's like this big. It doesn't even fit in the room. I mean, they're just, they're just huge beasts. The, you know, the, the saying is, is that they're the king of the jungle because they are pretty much the most powerful force that, that you'll find in the jungle. They'll take down a tiger. They'll take down a leopard, man. They'll take down an elephant. It doesn't matter. They're, they're strong and fierce and powerful. But it said that Adrian Rogers tells about this man who bragged that he had cut off the tail of a man-eating lion with his pocket knife and asked why he had not cut off the lion's head. The man replied that somebody had already done that. The Bible says that the devil prowls around like a what? Like a roaring lion. But it doesn't say that he has teeth. Because how many of you know that when Jesus Christ spilled his blood on that cross of Calvary. When he gave up his life as a sacrifice for the sins of this world, and when he was resurrected on the third day, the enemy became powerless. Amen. Can somebody say amen tonight? The enemy became powerless, church. He became powerless. And so how many of you believe tonight that the enemy is defeated? Amen? amen. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 6, it says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It says, it's not by might, nor by power, but everyone say, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. The opposition that we face tonight, the opposition that we face today, the opposition that we face in culture and in society, church, will only be defeated by the spirit of God. You can't put enough laws in place. You can't pass enough bills in the White House. You can't, you know, change curriculums in the school systems. All those things are, are nice things to, to attempt to do. But ultimately, ultimately, they cannot do what the Holy Spirit can do. And that is turn a nation around. That is change the hearts of men. The Holy Spirit, church, is so powerful. Amen? Oof, that was weak. I'll say it to this side. The Holy Spirit is so powerful. Amen. 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 All right. All right. Now you guys woke up over here. That's okay. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Give you a little bit of a background here. This is 
Joshua, you know, was, was called by the Lord to lead the people of God into the promised land. Moses was privileged and he was called by the Lord to lead people out of Exodus. That is, he was to lead them out of e Egypt and out of slavery and out of captivity. But Joshua had a different mission. The Lord called Joshua specifically to lead them into the promised land. And so I want to read these verses to you tonight. Joshua 1 and 1 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. He says, But now then you and all these people, he said, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them to the Israelites. He said, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I had promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. He said, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. How many of you know that the Lord, when he wants uh, you know, somebody to do something for him, he's going to give them clear instruction. And he's also going to give them empowerment. Right here, he said, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Most Christians are defeated in their mind. They wage spiritual warfare in their mind, and they don't understand what it is that God has actually given them. That through Christ Jesus, church, you and I would have the victory over all things. And here he's telling Joshua, he says this, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. That's a good promise, isn't it? The Lord's telling you right now, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. He goes on to say, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many of you know that God has never left us? Amen. That song that we just sang, he has never let you go, church. He has never let you go despite the feelings that you have felt in this world, despite the troubles that you have faced, despite all the things that you have gone through, he has never let you go. That is a sure promise of God. He says, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is, turn his back on you. The world, in this world, people will turn their back on you, but God will never turn his back on you. He says, so be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. He says, be very strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law that my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Verse 8, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. He said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Every time that the Lord reminds us, church, to, to not fear, to not be discouraged, it's because the opportunity to fear is present. Every single time that he reminded his children in the word, he, was, he told them, hey, listen, don't fear. And how many of you know that God knows what tomorrow holds, amen? You and I don't know what tomorrow holds, but he told us in the scripture in Matthew chapter 6, he said, listen, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what the future holds. Don't worry about what tomorrow is. Trust in me. Just put your faith and your belief and your trust in me who holds tomorrow. 
He holds everything, church. And so God was saying to him, he says, he says to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. Joshua needed to hear these words, church, because his reputation and his, his career uh, in, as a child of God was about to be forged, church, on the very thing that would happen next. And that was to be to get God's people into the promised land. When God gives you a word, church, he is 100% certain that he can fulfill it in your life. But the question is, do you believe it? The question is, have we rooted ourselves in him to believe what he said he will do? Because the very next thing that would begin to happen in the life of Joshua is they were about to encounter some real stuff. Joshua was about to lead a people that were grumbling in the desert for the last 40 years. He was about to lead them into some serious things, church. But God said, do not fear. God said, do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, Joshua. He said, but I've given you the key. It's right here. Do not depart from this thing. Everything that the world is trying to establish today, church, is trying to get you to depart from this. It says, no, 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 this is old news. This isn't the same standard. This is something that can be tweaked and, and changed and compromised. But for Joshua, it was going to be the very life source that God had given him. And for you and I, church, it would be the very life source that God has given you. Success as measured in these verses was that they would receive ultimately the promises of God. He said, you'll be prosperous and successful, Joshua, wherever you go, if you do not depart from this. Every promise will be fulfilled, Joshua, if you do not depart from this. If you do not say, you know what, I can take a couple steps back or I can handle it on my own or I can live out my life the way that I want to live out my life. No, 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 my friend, do not depart from this. I believe for any spirit-filled believer, the ultimate promise is heaven. Amen? For any person that has trusted in Jesus and that trusts in him today, the ultimate promise is that he's going to get us there. That promise, church, is going to be fulfilled. Amen? A hundred percent. That promise will be fulfilled. The Lord is so strong, church, that he can rapture millions of people all at once. He could take us up to be with him in glory forever, church. And that is the blessed hope that you and I have. But while we're still here on this earth, church, we have to be strong. We have to be courageous. We cannot bow down to fear. I have to ask this question to you tonight, and I want you to think about this. How come Moses couldn't get them into the promised land? How come Moses could not get them into the promised land, but rather Joshua would have to take them? I believe this is significant, church, because it's going to teach us something tonight. See, Moses represented the law. That is that the law cannot go into the promised land because the law will never get you into the promises of God. Some of you might be going, what? <laughs> it can get you out of Egypt, church. It can get you out of Egypt, but it can never get you into the promised land. In the same way, a religious life of church going and routine prayers might keep you out of the world, but it will never impact the world around you without the power of the Holy Spirit. The Hebrew name for Joshua is Yeshua. 
which is the Greek name of Jesus. The salvation of the Lord was being proclaimed that the message was stirring faith in the hearts of these people. And so in obedience to God's command, Moses, if you remember when he was leading the people out of Exodus, the Bible says that he had lifted up his rod and his staff in the face of the waters of that Red Sea. And what happened was a strong wind began to blow and all of a sudden the waters divided. It was this picture, and if you can picture this with me just for a second, there was two towering walls of water. Imagine if we could just part the ocean out there at the island, and you would just see two walls of water standing on each side of this dry land. And it was this massive just scene that there was this, this huge parting of the water, and all of a sudden there was dry land in the middle that was running down between them. This would be the very people's salvation to get to the other side. This would be the very thing that God would do mo through Moses to get them where they needed to go. And if they could get to the other side, they would be safe. But they had been grumbling. They had been complaining. But the message of God's servant Moses had stirred them to believe God. So now all of a sudden, they were standing in the middle church of a miracle. And sometimes we don't see that the walls have been parted, that the ocean has been parted before us. But we have to understand what we have and who we are in Jesus, church. That no matter what ocean stands before you, no matter what giant stands before you, no matter what circumstance before you, it's already parted in Jesus' name. It's already defeated in Jesus' name. But we cannot fix our eyes on the ocean. We cannot bow down to the, the, the thought of seeing that there's insurmountable odds, that there's no way we're going to get through this thing to the other side. There's no way that we could ever get there. But they believed God and they marched forth. They marched forth in the faith that God had given them and that he promised to lead them to this place. How many of you know that when they crossed the children of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea, it actually meant that they were baptized into the Red Sea. This was a foreshadowing of the spilling of the blood of Jesus. As they passed through church, it was significant of what you and I would receive later down the road when you would say yes to Jesus. That all of a sudden you would pass through the blood of Jesus. And those who of us who would believe and receive the work of salvation through the death of Christ on the cross would cross from Egypt, which represents oppression and slavery, to Canaan and go into the land of freedom and the fulfilled promises of God. When you said yes to Jesus, church, you went out of bondage and you went into freedom because of the blood of Jesus. He has given us everything that we need, church. He has given you and I everything for life and for godliness. Amen. What a clear picture of salvation for you and I today. That no matter the odds, God will overcome the odds and he will save us if we would only begin to follow him. If we would only listen to his word and follow his commands. Amen. And so he takes us like Moses took the people of God and he baptizes them in the Red Sea, the blood of Jesus. And then Joshua comes and he brings them across the Jordan into the promised land. Now, how many of you know that when the people crossed the Red Sea, it was on dry land. But when Joshua led the people across the Jordan River, the priests also had to get wet because they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. Now, this was also signifying the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which would come after Jesus died and rose again. 
This would be something that you and I, the believers of God that had trusted in Jesus, would one day receive. And how many of you know that when you receive the Holy Spirit, church, you're not just standing in the river, but the river is flowing from within your life. See, when the Holy Spirit is present in your life, church, it's not just a river that you jump into. It's a river that flows from within. All of a sudden, the manifest presence of God is dwelling inside of your heart and inside of your life. It is the most powerful thing ever, church. When the Holy Spirit is living inside of you and he's directing you, he's guiding you, he's leading you, he's giving you strength to overcome, he's giving you the courage to overcome all the fear of this world. And it's the most beautiful thing because guess what? We have nothing to fear. Because when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, church, he is a spirit of power and of love, of self-discipline. He empowers us to look at giants, church, and not shrink back. He empowers us to look at the things of this world and, and not be afraid. John 7 and 38 says this. Whoever believes me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. It says, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. But up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. What a tremendous gift. Amen? What a tremendous gift, the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. A gift that will guide you, that will supply for your life, that will fortify you, that will strengthen you, church. A gift that can only bring peace and, and joy and righteousness. Man, we have everything if we have the Holy Spirit. I said you have everything if you have the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, for those of us who have received the spirit that the same power that conquered the grave lives in you. The same power that conquered the grave lives in you. And so I pray before this service is over tonight, that if somebody walked into this place living in fear, bound by fear, and maybe you don't even know that you're living in fear. And maybe I'll get, get to that at some point in the message but you've been bound by fear, you've been worrying for tomorrow, you've been full of anxiety and, and, and worry and you don't know what tomorrow holds, then I pray before the service is over that you would encounter the Lord and he would set you free. Amen? There was a summer morning and there was a man named Ray Blankenship and he was preparing his breakfast and he gazed out this window and he saw a small girl being swept along in the rain-flooded drainage ditch beside his house in Ohio. And Blankenship knew that further down this stream, the ditch uh, would disappear with a roar underneath uh, a road, and then it would empty into this main uh, river. And so this man, he dashed out the door, and he raced alongside the ditch, and he was trying to get ahead of this, of this little girl that was, that was flailing in the water, and he hurled himself into that deep, churning water. And it says that Blankenship, he surfaced and he was able to grab a hold of the child's arm, but they tumbled end over end within about uh, three feet of that, that culvert, that, that river. And so Ray's free hand, he felt something that was possibly a rock protruding from the bank. And so he clung on desperately, but the tremendous force of the water, it tried to tear him and that child away. And he thought to himself, if I can just hang on until help comes. And so he did better than that. By the time that the fire department and the rescuers arrived, he had pulled the girl to safety. 
They were both immediately treated for shock, and on April 12, 1989, this man was awarded the Coast Guard Silver Life-Saving Medal. Now, this award was fitting for this selfless person was at even greater risk to himself than most people had actually known because this man couldn't swim. All of a sudden, he was emboldened, church, to jump out into a place where he had no control over. Move out into a space, into, into, into a, a, a terrible situation because... He saw a need. And did you know that Christ calls you and I into this trust relationship relying on the power of his Holy Spirit? Because just like Ray couldn't swim, so you and I are helpless to wage war in the spirit unless we trust in the one who can walk on water. You see, if you're not trusting in Jesus, you're just like that little girl just going down the street. You will be pulled into any direction. You will be pulled under. You will be tossed back and forth and you won't have a grip on life. You won't have an anchor for your soul. But then there's those of us that could be like this man that want to do good, that want to serve, that want to help. But unless you have the power of the Holy Spirit, you will you'll never be able to help anybody. Unless we walk in step with the Spirit, church, unless we move in step with what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do, church, then we're only walking by our might and we're only walking by our power. This man says this, he says, courage is doing what you're afraid to do. He said, but there can be no courage unless you're afraid. And I believe as time allows this evening, I want to minister to you about this subject of courage. So Joshua tells God tells Joshua, and he tells him three times in those verses that we read in the beginning. He said, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. How many of you know, church, that the Lord doesn't call us by what we feel, but he calls us by who we are in him and who he's created us to be? Man, if God called me by what I felt, if God called me by, by my feelings and by what I thought of myself and this and that, I wouldn't stand a chance. But God didn't call me that way. God called me by how he knew he was going to prepare me for the battle. And God calls us, church, the same way. He established us beforehand, and he knew that if he was going to use you, if he was going to call you into something, guess what? He had fully prepared you. He had given you everything that you needed. He had given you the power of the Holy Spirit that you were ready, you were equipped to face anything that this world would throw your way. And so he doesn't say to Joshua, he didn't say to him, oh fearful one, stop fearing. No, he gave Joshua the promise of which he was to attain. That is, he spoke into his life who he was and he gave him the means to attain it. He spoke into the life of Joshua. He said, listen, do not be discouraged, do not be dismayed, do not be terrified. He said, for what? I'll go with you wherever you go. Wherever your foot lands, Joshua, wherever that is, that will be established as holy ground. Wherever your foot goes, Joshua, everything that you need will be there for you. And how many of you know that God would never leave you to fight a battle without the weapons that you need? 
He's not going to allow you to be thrust in this world just, just flailing around hopeless and saying, God, I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. God, I'm so afraid. I'm so worried. No, no, no. He's given you everything that you need. But we've got to believe this, church. We have to believe and we have to understand and get our mind out of Egypt and realize, church, that we've already stepped into the promised land where we said yes to Jesus. Amen. John 16 and 33, he says this. He said, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. He told us, he said, listen, don't be afraid. Don't be worried. In this life, you will have many troubles, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Amen. You have what you need. But the question is, is do you believe what you have? Do you believe what God has given you? Do you believe what God has established for your life? The key, church, is recognizing the weapons that he's given us, the Holy Spirit. You see, if you know the Lord in a distant way, you'll never see all that he's given you. All the time I get to talk to young people and I, and I you know, they, they tell me, oh, well, I'm not convicted by this. I'm not convicted by this thing. I'm not convicted by what I saw. I'm not convicted by what I listened to. I'm not convicted by this. Well, guess what? You're not convicted because you're not close to God. Somebody say amen tonight. Amen. The closer you get to the Father's heart, the more you know what he thinks, church. The more you know what he's pleased by. The more you know what he approves of. If there's no conviction, there's probably no closeness. But the closer you are to Jesus, the more you receive his presence and the greater you'll receive and know his power. John 17, I'm not going to read all of this. We'll skip down to verse 22. But this is the prayer of Jesus for you and I, for, for the unity in the church. Verse 22 says this, he says, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. He says, so I in them and you in me, may they be brought to the complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and you have loved them even as you have loved me. Now I make mention of this verse, church, because the church will never win the battles that it has been destined to win with a divided spirit. I'll say that one more time. The church, the body of Christ, will never win the battles that it has been destined to win with a divided spirit. That is, the church will never win the battles that God has placed before us without beginning or being in the spirit. Those who are given the opportunity to believe in Christ through our message will fail to do so without a demonstration of the spirit and unity in the church. Wow, that's responsibility, isn't it? Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples when you love one another. That goes for inside the church and outside the church. But they will not know, church, about this great God that we serve without a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. DJ sang a song a minute ago saying, Awake my soul. When I was listening to those words, they were ministering to my heart for this message because I believe 
still. Even in the perilous times that we're living in, that the church is still asleep. There is a percentage of the church that are still asleep. That they don't get what's coming up ahead. And somehow they think that their lukewarmness, that their stagnancy, that their complacency is somehow going to be okay with this God that has asked them to surrender everything. That has asked them to daily take up their cross and follow him. And we cannot be fooled, church. We cannot be deceived by anything in this world to think that this God is going to be pleased by our lukewarmness. That God is somehow going to be okay that we've just kind of got one foot in. That he's going to be okay that we kind of just showed up to church on a Wednesday. That he's going to be okay that we sometimes show up on a Sunday or sometimes we share something on, on social media about Jesus. No, 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 my friend. You have to be all in. All in. All in. All in, church, because those who are all in are going to be all, all out. <laughs> those who are all in are going to be all out, man, when he calls our name. But there's not going to be like, oh, hold up, God, I'm, I'm getting ready. No, 2 Peter 3, 9 explains it all perfectly for you. For the Lord is not slow, as some understand slowness. But he is what? He is wanting you to what? To come to Repentance. The Lord gives us time, church. But guess what? The season that we are living in, I believe the wickedness that is so heavy in the world right now is provoking God. And God's going to say, enough is enough. I'm taking him home. And I have to make this stern tonight just a little bit. Because if you're asleep, it's time to wake up. If you're asleep, it's time to wake up. Amen. It is time to wake up. The biggest roadblock that the enemy brings against the people of God is very easily identified. And I told you I was going to talk to you about courage and I have just a few minutes left. But it's the opposite of being uh, courageous, which is being fearful or afraid. You see, the one who is opposite of Christ is Satan. And that means that he takes on an opposing stance of that which Christ says you are and of what Christ has empowered you to do. And everything that Christ has said, the enemy comes in and he tries to deceive the world. That word opposition means resistance. It means dissent expressed in action or argument, conflict, hostility, objection, criticism, or noncompliance. A rival group of adversaries. That's what opposition means. I hope I didn't describe anyone familiar. <laughs> I'm just joking. How many of you know that we aren't called to live by lies, deceit, or fake news? Can somebody say amen? amen? But we are called to live by faith in the Holy Spirit. And so this calling of Joshua, it shows us a picture of how the Lord has called his people to move. That is, he is calling you and I into this trust relationship to take us where we have yet to go. And so the people of the Spirit, we must recognize that there is an opposition that, that is before us is never greater than the promise on the other side. It looks tall. The ocean looked big. I can guarantee you for the Israelites, the Red Sea was the Red Sea. It looked impassable. It looked impossible. But nothing that you would ever face in this world is bigger than your God. 
I'll say that one more time. Nothing that you could ever face in this world, church, is bigger than your God. Amen? And the walls of opposition, of sickness, disease, generational curses, fear for safety, and more oppose us. We do not fix our eyes on the problem, but we focus on the promise and the promise giver. 2 Corinthians 4 and 17 says, For our light and momentary troubles. Now, I, I need to just pause there just for a second. This is Paul, man. He's in a prison. He's being shackled and imprisoned for preaching the gospel, which there are people in prison for preaching the gospel right now in Afghanistan, in the Middle East, in China, all around the world. I want you to think of the severity of this just for a second. Because Paul makes it sound like it's nothing. Right now, some of us are like, oh, you know, COVID and all this stuff that's happening in the world. We're super afraid. We're super afraid. You're not even in shackles. You're not even imprisoned. You literally have nothing to be afraid of right now. Paul's chained up in a prison. He says, for our light and momentary troubles. <laughs> eh, you know. I'm chained up, you know, to this prison wall here. But our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Oh, Jesus. I'm here to remind somebody that your roadblock is temporary. Amen. Your opposition is momentary. Amen. God will fulfill in your life every promise that he has made to you if you would place your full trust and faith in him today. When I think of that word courage, the story of David and Goliath immediately comes to mind. And many of you are familiar with this story. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, I just want to give you these few little uh, points before we close tonight. Goliath was over nine feet tall. His sword and his shield were about 15 pounds each. His shield was so heavy that he appointed somebody to carry it. And he shouted at 100,000 Israelite soldiers for 40 days. How many of you know that the enemy will always try to make God's warriors fearful? So 1 Samuel 17 and verse 8 says, Goliath stood and he shouted at the ranks of Israel. He says, why do you come out and line up for battle? He said, am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? He says, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will be our subjects and serve us. Verse 10 says, then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. How many of you know that the enemy will always try to act like he has something that he doesn't possess? He always tries to act like he has something that he doesn't possess, church. He was trying to use a battle to gain their subjectivity when God had already made them free. He said, oh, if you kill me, if you win, if you beat me, we'll become your subjects. But they were already declared their subjects because God had established them as his own people. And I have to remind somebody in here tonight, listen, sometimes we're allowing the enemy to, to, to level the playing field when the level playing field has never been level. It's never been that way. It was never set up that way because you have Christ in your life, church. You are already victorious. You're already victorious. But what does he do? He says, oh, hold on a sec. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me see what I can get them to believe. 
But the end of every victory is the beginning of the next battle. And so we need to recognize how he's trying to trip us up in this mode of fear. Let's read verse 11. 1 Samuel 17, 11, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites, they were dismayed and terrified. When you believe the enemy, this is the results of believing the enemy. Fear. Every single time. When you believe a lie of the devil, when you are deceived in your mind into thinking that somehow this thing is, is unachievable, you cannot overcome it, you are gripped by fear. So verse 12 says, Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, and who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was old and well and advanced in years. Verse 13, Jesse, Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah, and David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend to his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Verse 16, this is an important verse. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Verse 17 says, Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and take these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. Verse 19 says that they are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. I want to give us a few keys and you can write these down quickly. I'll let you pull out your phones just for a second. Write this down. The number one key to kingdom courage is obeying your father's orders. Write that down and remember that. The number one key to obeying the Lord or, or to having kingdom courage is obeying your father's orders. It goes on in verse 20 to say, Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd. He loaded up and he set out as his father, Jesse, had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting their war cry. Verse 21 says, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines to fight each other. And David left his things with the keeper of supplies. And he ran to the battle line to greet his brothers. How many of you know that fear will keep you in familiar places, but faith takes you to fearful places that you would have never gone? It's going to take you to a place that you would never have gone in your own strength or in your own power, but it's not by my power, it's not by my strength, but it's by what? The Spirit, says the Lord. Verse 23, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, he stepped out from his lines and he shouted his usual defiance and David heard it. Verse 24, when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. The devil's been shouting a lot of things lately. The devil's been saying a lot of things. He's been shouting a lot of things through people. He's been deceiving a lot of people. He's been trying to push worry and fear into the lives of the people of God. Every single day he does this. But God is going to position you for victory, not only for yourself, but for those who are bound by fear. David would have never got to the battle line, church, had he not obeyed his father's orders. And David would have never heard this giant shouting all this fear into the, into the people that God was going to use him to deliver if what? He had not been obedient to the Lord. And so David gets there and all of a sudden he hears and he sees what's happening. He heard Goliath. He heard what he had to say, but he saw what it did. 
Verse 25, now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him, and he will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 27, they repeated to him what they had been saying, what had, they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. You know, church, that anyone can point out an enemy, but not everyone is courageous enough to attack it. There's a lot of people right now that know what the devil is doing in our world, that can see what the enemy is doing in our world, but not everybody's courageous enough to attack it. Man, you see the bear in your camp. You see him like trickling in, but you're like, whoa, I'm not getting near. And so many of us right now, you see what the enemy is doing, but you're afraid to attack back. You say, no, I'm not going to say anything because it might stir up some conflict. No, I'm going to say that again. Oh, I better not say anything because it might stir up some conflict. Oh, I better not tell them that Jesus is the only way that they're going to get to heaven. Oh, I better not say that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. I just, it's time for the church to wake up. Amen? I said it's time for the church to wake up. Verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and he asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? He goes, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. You know, church, that people often criticize what they're afraid to do. And those who criticize another's freedom often don't realize that they're still bound. Eliab is his older brother. He's been enlisted in this army and all of a sudden he's criticizing his baby brother. But you know why he criticized him? Because he was afraid. He was afraid. He saw something in David and he's going, nah, man, I don't know how it is that you think that you're going to go out there when he was shaking in his boots the whole time. Verse 29, now what have I done, said David, can't I even speak? He turned away to someone else and he brought up the same matter and the men answered him as before. You know, church, that we have a choice to hear others, but we don't have to listen to what they've said. There's a lot of stuff that's being shot into your ears and into your life right now. And listen, you can hear it, but you don't need to listen. There's a difference. There is a difference. You can hear some stuff that's going on in this world, but you don't have to listen. Mario Marullo posted something that I shared on Facebook the other day that I thought was just an absolute bomb, and I loved it. I love setting off bombs and then just kind of like leaving sometimes. But he said, nowhere in the scripture does it say that you need to obey corrupt government. He's right. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that you must obey corrupt government. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? When they were told to what? Bow down to the image of this king? When they were told to do certain things that were against 
who they knew their God to be, they said, no, 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 my friend, I'm not going to bow. It doesn't matter if they've lit the fire seven times hotter. None of those things matter. They were not going to bow. That's what courage looks like, church. It looks like standing up in the face of the giant and being immovable. Verse 31, David overheard what was said and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him for you're only a boy. And he's been a fighting man from his youth. You know that the enemy speaks of our inadequacies, but the spirit reminds us of our victories in God. The enemy is always going to point out your flaw. He's going to say, nah, nah, you can't do that. You can't fight him. You're just a boy. You don't have all the tools. He's been fighting since, since he was a, a kid. Verse 34, but David says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, he said, I went after it. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. He said, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. He says, because he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. How many of you know, church, that God had prepared David in private battles for what was about to become a public victory? All those times that he was out there tending to his father's sheep, all those times that he was about his father's business, all those times that he was doing what his father had called him to do were preparing him for this battle. And right now the Lord is preparing somebody. You have been going through a battle, but listen, it's preparing you for a public victory. That is that victory that the Lord is about to give you. And the thing that God is going to do in your life is going to unlock victory for somebody else. It's going to do it, church. But we've got to trust and we've got to believe. The doors that you've unlocked in personal relationship will release an anointing publicly for victory. So Saul says to David, he says, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened over his sword. Uh, he said, fasten on his sword over the tunic. And he tried walking around, but he, he couldn't because he was not used to them. He said, I cannot go in these, he says to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. How many of you know, church, that a personal relationship with Jesus armors us to fight battles? It's only a personal relationship. We can't defend or rely on someone else's shield to defend us when God has given us our own. The time that I have spent with Jesus has become a shield for my life because I stand under the covering and under the cloud of God, under the protection of the Almighty. I can't give you my cloud. <laughs> you have to go. You have to spend time with the Lord. You have to be there in personal time with Jesus. Because there's going to be moments where I'm not there. There's going to be moments when, when, when somebody's not there to, to be with you, to help you fight that battle, but the Holy Spirit will be. And if you've trusted in him, he will have prepared you for that moment. Verse 40 says, he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. 
put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. You know, church, a great deception of the enemy is making God's children believe that they don't have what's necessary to defeat the giants in their life. This was a nine-foot giant, and David walks up to him with a couple pebbles. He didn't have Saul's fancy armor. He didn't have all the things that, that Saul was dressed with, that, 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 that all the Israelite soldiers had. A hundred thousand of them were well prepared. David had a few rocks. He had a few pebbles. And sometimes we think, well, Lord, I, I, have, this, I have this unseen Holy Spirit in my life. But God, I can see that giant. I can see that thing. I can see that, that, that opposition, Lord. I don't, I don't believe that what I have, God, is bigger than that. Meanwhile, that Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him, he closed in on David and he looked David over and he saw that he was a boy. He was ruddy and handsome and he despised him. He said to David, he said, I, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He says, come here. He said, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields. And David said to the Philistine, he says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Did you know that the enemy will always try to make you believe that he has power? But Jesus said, all authority under heaven and under the earth has been given to me. And he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And he gave them to every son and every daughter that would believe in his name. Every single one of us. The enemy has no authority. I need you to say that tonight, church. Say, the enemy has no authority. Say it like you mean it. The enemy has no authority. The enemy has no authority over me. Say, the enemy has no authority over me. That is, he is powerless. But the only way the enemy can have power is when we have bought into his lies. It's when we believed his deception. It's when we've come into an agreement with those things that he has said that are untrue. That's the only way that he is empowered to control your life because in that moment we empower the liar by believing his lies. That is, we have delegated our authority over to him. But David recognized what the enemy was trying to do and he says, I come against you in the name of the Lord. How many of you know that Jesus is all we need, church? He really is. He's all we need. So verse 46 says, this day the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down. I will cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. He said all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. He says for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. You see if you are going through something right now you need to prophesy over your problem. You need to prophesy. You need to speak out which what God is going to give you and the promises that he has made over your life today. You can't wait on that, church. You can't just sit back and relax and say, you know what, I hope that, you know, it's going to go well for me. No, we need to prophesy over our problem and watch the power of God defeat the enemy. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. You know, church, when the enemy gets close, we don't need to shrink back or run or be afraid. But Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 35, do not throw away your confidence. 
When the enemy is coming against you, the Bible says when he comes against you like a flood, the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And so when the enemy is pursuing you and when he's coming against you, it says, do not throw away your confidence for it will be richly rewarded. He says, but you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. You will receive everything that he has promised you for in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who believe and are saved. Can somebody say amen tonight? So verse 49 says, he reached in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead and the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. You see, a stone delivered by a boy didn't have enough power to slay a giant. But a boy who trusted and believed that God had enough power was going to deliver that nation. You must trust and you must believe. Verse 50, so he triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand and he struck down that Philistine and he killed him and David ran and stood over him. He took a hold of the Philistine's sword and he drew it from his scabbard and after he killed him, he cut off the head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah, they surged forward with a shout and they pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along Sharam to the road of Gath and Ekron. You overcoming your fears empowers others to move in the faith. So if the church wakes up and begins to overcome their fear, begins to wake up and say, you know what? We don't have to be afraid of what's going on in the world. We don't have to be afraid of tomorrow. We don't have to be afraid of all these things that are happening in life because we know who holds tomorrow and his name is Jesus. He is the creator of all things. Then guess what? The moment that we begin to believe this church, all of a sudden others are gonna rise up and they're gonna begin to move in faith. I believe the Lord wants to set somebody free from the fear of this world and the enemy tonight and empower us to move forward in a faith that pleases him. But we need to ask ourselves this question right there where you are. Well, I'm going to ask that you bow your heads tonight. What fear is holding you from the promises of God over your life? What fear is stopping you from going into the land of giants to get your victory? Who is waiting for you to get over your fear today? You see, it's not by being steadfast in the law, but it's by being steadfast in the spirit. And just like that man who bragged that he cut off the tail of that man-eating lion, so you and I can give glory to the Lord for the victories that he's given us through defeating the enemy once and for all. We no longer have to be bound by fear. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.